Amen. Thank you, uh, Orion, and we appreciate you being here with us. Rachel and Reagan, we appreciate you being here as well. We hope that you feel like family uh, here because we definitely uh, feel that way. Uh, I stopped by the sound booth this morning and let our sound team know that if they ever needed uh, a backup worship, you know, musician, uh, this is what I would sound like. And so, just to give them a heads up, if they ever needed me to play, it would sound very similar to what we heard this morning so far. Hey, it's good to be in God's house this morning, is it not? Amen. Uh, a beautiful fall weather. You can stop laughing now. It wasn't that funny. It's meant to be true. Um, I'm the youth and families pastor here, and it is good to see your smiling faces, whether you are here uh, in person or whether you're tuning in online. We want to say welcome to you and thank you for being here. If it's your first time, we want to know you're here. And so if you're online for the first time, Facebook, YouTube, like scroll down, check the comments, click the link and fill out that communication card, please. That would be wonderful. If you are here for the first time, uh, we'd love for you to also fill out a communication card. The best way for you to get that is to download our Church Center app, uh, and you can fill out a communication card there. We can get you information that you need, and we appreciate you being here, partnering with us for the sake of the gospel. Um, it's good to be here this morning. I've got a couple quick announcements, mostly to do with our youth and kids ministries. Today, today. Are you excited? You don't even know what I'm about to say. Today, Mike Smith's excited. Um, after the second service, we are doing a kids ministry preview day. So this week and next week after the second service. And so if you're going to head out after this and grab a brunch or lunch, we encourage you, if you have kids, to come back uh, right at the end of the second service. We're going to do a 15 to 20 minute uh, kids uh, like preview kids ministry right here in the sanctuary and we want you to be a part of it it's going to be high energy it's going to be exciting and we're so excited to get our kids ministry up and running again right then in two weeks from today october 4th uh, we are going to open up our youth building and our kids ministries are going to be rocking and rolling and so october 4th during the second service our kids' ministries will be in full force, and we want you to be a part of that. Your families, your neighbors, your friends, invite them along to be a part of that. As far as student ministry goes, grades 6 to 12, we are launching Wednesday, September 30th. So if you have uh, family members, grades 6 to 12, if you, like, we want you there, okay? And so that's Wednesday night. <laughs> September 30th, we want you there. Parents, if you have questions, grandparents, um, guardians, like if you have questions, I would encourage you on uh, this Thursday night, 7 o'clock, we're doing a Zoom parents informational meeting. And so if you need that link, shoot me an email, tyler at newtownroad.org. I will get you that link, and we will uh, try to answer your questions and talk about our protocols and what we're going to do to make sure we open safely over there. Uh, I want to also remind you this morning that you can bring uh, uh, food and pantry items, drop it off in the baskets right outside or to our office during the week, and we are partnering with local organizations doing an, an incredible job uh, helping those in need during this season of life. And then church, thank you. 
thank you for your continued faithfulness and giving. If you're prepared to give your tithes and your offerings this morning, uh, there's boxes right uh, back in the back next to the doors. You can do that. We appreciate your faithfulness in that. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Matt. Thank you, church. Well, thank you, Tyler. Um, as somebody who has played in worship bands with you um, for a long time, <laughs> that, uh, that really made me laugh. I'm not going to lie. So uh, I appreciate that. We, uh, we can get <laughs> anyway, Ryan, it was great to have you with us this morning. It's always good to see you. Special, uh, special congratulations on the birth of Reagan. What a joy it is to see your family growing and expanding. So we did not know... Did not know that you'd be able to be with us this morning, Rachel and Reagan. So that was a that was a huge surprise to us. So thank you for making the trek down. Traveling with little ones is a is a special burden, and makes you despair of life sometimes. So thank you for that and for uh, making it. But you probably didn't sleep last night, so it probably was easy just to get in the car and come down this morning. But you guys, be be praying for Ryan and uh, his colleagues at Word of Life Bible Institute. They opened up and they just got classes going like a week and a half ago or something like that. Um, amidst the pandemic, as many educational institutions are feeling the pinch, they are too. Uh, but thankfully, God, um, God has given them the desires of their hearts, and they were able to uh, achieve a kind of an adjusted goal for enrollment, and God's doing some great things there. I'm going to be up there um, at the Institute uh, teaching at one of their chancellor's chapels in a couple weeks. Very excited to see the new progress on campus and meet the new student body. But be praying for Ryan and his team up there. They're, uh, they're feeling it like everyone else is today. Um, this morning we are back in chat, the Gospel of Mark. We have been trekking through Mark, I don't know, for like 15 years. Chad, is that what it was? Like, yeah, 2004 I think we started. Uh, it's been like a year since we've been working through Mark, and uh, we're still in it, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to take, take our time getting through this. Uh, we are in chapter 11 this morning. Um, last week, uh, last week we... We looked through the passage of the triumphal entry. Remember, we had Palm Sunday in September. That was really odd for us, uh, but it was a familiar passage that, that hopefully we were able to see something either new or reaffirm some things that we know to be true about the scriptures that encouraged us. And today we're going to do what we do every Sunday that we gather. We're going to read God's word. We're going to explain its meaning. We're going to draw our attention to certain implications and applications in our lives, calls to obedience and repentance. And, and through the process of doing that, week after week after week, our lives are changed because our minds are renewed by the word of God. Sometimes we, sometimes we fall in this pattern of thinking that church is like a social function or just some, some uh, hobby. By the way, church is a really boring hobby if this is your hobby. But we, we fall into that trap of just if we just check off the boxes and we just run through the, uh, run through the, the motions we fail to remember the glorious power of what God is doing with his bride as we gather week after week. The Bible says that he washes over us with the water of his word. That there is a cleansing and a purifying effect to our minds as we gather with God's people and yield our hearts to the power and the authority of his word. We are changed. We are conformed into the image of Jesus. We are not transformed uh, or conformed to the image of this world, but be, we are being renewed when our minds are renewed through the washing of the water of the word. And that's what we're going to do today. It's not glamorous. It's not overly flashy, but it is oh so necessary in our lives as we seek to grow in Christ. So today we find ourselves in another difficult passage. Last week was difficult for a whole different set of reasons. It was difficult last week because it was familiar. 
And every one of us knew the Palm Sunday story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And so this week, it's, it's not familiar, uh, familiarity that makes it difficult. Uh, it's difficult because it, the meaning isn't instantly clear to us as Western Bible readers. I say all that in order to lower your bar of expectation. That way, if I make a miserable mess of all this, you'll be like, well, it was a tough passage, so we'll, we'll give him a pass today. All right. Let's just hope that God does what he can do, right? Let's, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter. We're going to start in verse 12 this morning as we look at the lesson of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Verse 12, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we need your help this morning to understand your word. I pray for help for, for me as I try to explain um, the fruits of, of study and prayer this week. But we thank you for our church family and all that you're doing here. We, we thank you especially for answering our prayers with, uh, with recent surgeries like, like Mia Thompson. Thank you for, for hearing our prayers and, and we pray for a speedy recovery for her. And we pray the same for, for Maddie Reynolds and thank you for hearing our prayers with her and we ask for continued recovery there. Pray for those who, who need your help this morning, God. It seems that every one of us is being plagued or, or touched in some way by, by anxieties and, and fears and uncertainties over these seasons, and it, it's overwhelming at times. We pray for your peace and your strength. This morning, God, open your word to us that we might know you and understand you better, that we might, might know what we are to do in response. And God, I pray that you just give us clarity of mind today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get into this this morning. The first, the first portion of our passage, I've, I've entitled my thoughts, The Cursed Tree. Especially in verse 12 there, the following day they come from Bethany. You remember what happened the previous day? The night before, after the triumphal entry, the people were yelling, Hosanna in the highest. They laid down the palm branches and their cloaks. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He looked around the temple, but it was late and there weren't many people there, so he left and he went home. The following day, he was coming back. So it's the next morning, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's sure the crowds will be there this time. Remember we, last week, it was, it was um, 
Clearly, one of the reasons that he went was that uh, there was nobody there. He's engaging here this final week of his life in more public ministry than, than he had previously. So he was on his way and he was hungry. It was likely that he hadn't eaten anything yet because the first meal of the day wasn't as soon as you woke up in the morning like it is for us. It was usually a few hours later. So he's hungry. He's walking into Jerusalem with his disciples. He's hungry and he spots off in the distance what must have been quite an exciting sight. He sees a fig tree in leaf. And what, what does that mean? That, that the, the, based on the foliage of the tree, that Jesus and his followers could safely assume that there was fruit there to be picked. Basically, it was a snack bar and it was open. Right? They, they knew if they could get to the tree, they could at least eat something. Be like strolling through an apple orchard, and like I did yesterday with my family, and seeing apples on the tree and knowing that I could grab a snack, I could grab a bite to eat if I was hungry. So the appearance of fruitfulness must have been something very exciting to Jesus and his followers. Now he had something to satisfy his hunger. So seeing the opportunity for a morning snack, he walks closer over toward the tree. But when he got close to the tree he realized that although the leaves were in full bloom, there was no fruit to be eaten. There was no food, just leaves. Nothing to satisfy his hunger. Quite a disappointment for him, and the hunger is still with him. And he says, may no one ever eat from you again. Which sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? At first glance, it sounds like, and those of you who are dads who aren't, aren't overly skilled with house projects, right? There have been times in my life, I, I hope you can still trust me as your pastor after this illustration. There have been times in my life where, where in the middle of a project, I, I realize that my vision will not be fulfilled. And my desires are not going to come to pass. And out of frustration, I may make the problem worse by tossing whatever's in my hand, by smacking whatever's not working, by accidentally putting a hole in something that should not have a hole in it. Now I have a broken appliance and a hole in the wall to fix, right? So it sounds like, at first glance, it sounds like Jesus is striking out in anger. And, and it, if, honestly, if you're a good student of the Bible, you might wonder, what did the tree really do? This is the only miracle of destruction in the Gospels. It's a miracle, but it's like a reverse miracle. He, he destroys something rather than heals something. Now, see, the disciples hear Jesus say this, and they might have wondered what it meant as well. And we're not told yet. Actually, he doesn't really give us much of an explanation explicitly at all. But it, the explanation is implied with his actions and the teaching later. And we'll get to there. I hope, I hope soon you'll, you'll see what it all means. But in the first section, what we need to know is that Jesus curses the fig tree because although it appeared to be fruitful, it wasn't. It gave the promise of fruit, but not the substance. Okay? The result of the promise, but no substance, was that Jesus pronounced a curse on it. All right, secondly then, we see a cleansed temple. So the first was a cursed tree. The second was a, by the way, my preaching professors would be really excited with my alliteration this morning, guys. I, think, I feel like you should take note of that and send, send me some kind of email with a gold star or something, right? The first was the cursed tree. The second is the cleansed temple. 
So now they arrive in Jerusalem, and the crowds are gathered again. The temple is buzzing with activity like it normally is. People are moving about. Jesus arrives with his disciples, takes a look at what is happening in the temple, and consumed with zeal for the house of his father, he begins to cleanse the temple. Which means that in a fit of controlled anger, remember Jesus gets angry but doesn't sin, so he's not like, he's not necessarily like me, right? He's not chucking things around the garage, he's not angry and, and lashing out in sinful ways. He is, it is controlled anger, bridled anger, but justified and righteous anger nonetheless. He begins to overturn the tables of money changers and the people selling pigeons. And stop right there, because that's weird. Why, why when the world would, can you imagine what would happen if you walked into our church this morning and Mandy, instead of just checking you in outside, was exchanging currency and selling animals? Like, what in the world is going on? For our Western minds and our typical evangelical Christian minds, we have to stop when we hit this passage and think, what is really going on here? Because it just seems a little out of place. What he does is he turns over the money changers and drives out those people who are selling pigeons, and he chases cattle. He chases cattle out of the, the temple. That's, and John gives us a little more uh, clarity. He uses a whip to do that. All of this. And then it says he wouldn't allow people to carry things through the temple. Like you weren't allowed to be burdened down as you walked through the temple. And what is all that about? And that is the question of the hour, isn't it? You see, the temple wasn't a singular building like a church house might be. It was kind of like a complex. Multiple courtyards and open areas. This was occurring in the largest court, the court of the Gentiles. You see, God had instructed that when his temple was built that it should include a place called the court of the Gentiles, a place where non-Jews could participate in worship. Because God, who chose the Jews to be his, his people, had made preparations for a host of Gentile God-fearing people to be able to be part of this covenant community. But the Jews, in part because of their general disdain for Gentiles, and in part because they had not quite understood the purpose of their covenant relationship with God, had begun to treat flippantly this sacred space and also treat poorly those who were gathered here. So they set up a market in the sacred space of the Gentiles. Why money changers? Why were there money changers in the temple? Well, glad you asked. Within the temple, only one kind of currency was, was received. And they didn't accept Roman currency, nor did they accept Greek currency. You had to change it to Tarian. That's what they called it. So you needed to exchange your currency for the proper currency used within the temple. But they've got you now. You're stuck waiting at their table for their money, so they drove the exchange rates up so they could make a high profit off of you. <clears throat> it wasn't just that they were exchanging currency it was that they were exploiting people in need for their own gain. Can you imagine how we, can you imagine if we did that? If we declare, if we only accepted Bitcoin and every time you tried to pay with cash, we said, I'm sorry, there's an exchange rate and we're going to, we're going to skim off the top. How ridiculous that would be. 
The money changers are inflating exchange rates to take advantage of those trying to worship. That's why they get their tables turned over. So why are they exchanging currency? Were they running some kind of gift shop or cafeteria? Not really. They're selling sacrifices. See, Jewish pilgrims and Gentiles too would come from all over the place and they would not all bring sacrifices with them. They would instead purchase them, purchase them there in the temple. Sometimes in one season, hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed. They couldn't all come from home. They would buy them there. So now they've got you, right? You're in their court needing their money to buy their product. It's kind of like when you go buy a car, right? And you haven't visited your credit union first. Here's a bit of advice. You don't ever want to be on their lot needing their money to buy their car. That's a bad idea all around. Even if you don't have money, just pretend like you do, right? Because then they've got you. They can drive this rate up however they want, and that's exactly what was going on. So here, here's, here's one example of how they were exploiting this. Sometimes you did carry your, your pigeon or your animal with you. They had a group of inspectors, sacrifice inspectors. It was their job. And they would inspect your sacrifice to make sure it was worthy for a small fee, of course, of the right currency, of course. And then if they found, once you gave them your money and found that, that your sacrifice was unacceptable, maybe it had a blemish, maybe it had like a, a bum leg or something, it wasn't acceptable for God's, God to receive in worship, they would let you know that I'm sorry your animal failed inspection, but I've got good news for you today. I've got a pigeon you can buy sitting right over here. Now, this is the top of the line pigeon. That might cost you a little bit. Here's a le lesser model. It's a little bit older, but still good for a small upcharge, of course. Can you see now why Jesus is so angry? It's not just that they're exchanging currency to use the proper currency in worship. And it's not just that they're providing sacrifices at an appropriate rate. They're exploiting people in the name of, Je in the name of God, abusing the purity of the religious central, the central religious point, the temple, for their own gain. This whole scene is one of exploitation. Price gouging their Jewish brothers and sisters, taking a sacred place like, like the court of the Gentiles and turning it into a market. And he says you can't carry anything through. What is that about? It became a cut through. People were passing through the court. It was easier than going around the temple. They just cut through the temple. So he's like, you're, you're completely missing the point of this place. This beautiful place that God provided for people to engage in worship with him, to enjoy the blessings of this covenant relationship with him. You, you're destroying the beauty of it all by treating it flippantly and casually. You've taken the purity of worship and distorted it. So as Jesus arrives at the very epicenter of the worship of God, he realizes quickly this is not as it should be. And maybe he got a glimpse the night before when he was walking around. And in his passion for righteousness and with a hatred for sin and idolatry and a zeal for the house of his father, he begins to clean the place. And he turns over the tables of the money changers 
those selling doves and he drives them out. He makes a whip and he drives out the cattle that were in the space. And the whole time he's doing it, the Bible says he was teaching them, probably loudly teaching them, teaching them loudly that, that this place was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. The court of the Gentiles was a house of prayer for all the nations. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. You're exploiting people and stealing from them. A place of prayer turned into a market, a high-end market. The chief priests and the scribes hear what's going on, the commotion. No doubt some had witnessed it and it further enraged them. They hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. But they're a little bit fearful because the crowd loves him. And the crowd believes they're all inspired at his teaching. They think he speaks for God. And they can't ups risk upsetting the crowd. Then they'll have a mob on their hands. All right. So we see the cursed tree, the cleansed temple, and then, thirdly, a clarifying talk. See that? Guys, that's good right there. Right. It happens once every seven months. Just let me, let me bask in it, right? The next morning, the disciples and them are walking back to Jerusalem. They pass by the same fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before, and they notice that when they walk by, the tree had been withered down to the roots. Quickly, within one day, the tree's curse has been, has been carried out. Peter says, Jesus, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. He's like, yeah, I know. I cursed it. Of course. And then he says, have faith. What? Have faith. Believe in God. Don't be alarmed. Peter, don't be alarmed by such an extraordinary act. Have faith. Believe that my word is true. Believe that the things I say will come to pass. Believe that the things I do bring an effect. Have faith. In fact, if you'd have faith in God, you'd see great acts for yourself. If you'd have faith in God, that, that the power of God that's in me, that I've given to you, would show up. In fact, you would be faithful, and you could move mountains with your prayers. But believe don't be faithless in your prayers. If you ask of God, believe that he can deliver. Believe, have faith, trust that he can give what you're asking. Now this, this isn't to be, uh, this isn't like a, a blank slate of prayer that, that we can just name it and claim it and go to God and say, look, I want to be rich and famous and I want to be free from all sickness and disease. There's, there's a balance to this based on the testimony of scripture, obviously. The things we pray for ought to be in line with God's will. The, the more we grow in Jesus, the more our hearts reflect his will, the more the things we ask for will reflect his desires for us. There's a balance here. When we ask for things amiss or we ask for things that aren't good for us, then obviously our good father is not going to respond in kind by giving them to us. And, and the testimony of scripture needs to be at play here. But the reality is, what he's trying to get us to see is, we should not be alarmed at great acts of power through Jesus. We should have faith that God can do what he says he's going to do, and will do in us those same things. We can see great things happen through our faith in God. Not because of our power, but his power moving through us. He says, don't be faithless, and don't be unforgiving. Apparently, harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts against people is a barrier and a hindrance to God's 
uh, responding to our prayers. So the, the combination of lack of faith and lack of forgiveness equals a barrier in our hearts to our prayers. Believe that God can do it and demonstrate the life of forgiveness that you've enjoyed in Jesus. You see, a lack of forgiveness betrays a heart issue for us that we've not really understood how, how greatly we offended God and how, how great the gift of forgiveness really was for us. Because if we recognize that, that we've transgressed his holy name and we des deserve nothing but hell and condemnation, and yet realize that we've been given adoption into his family as sons, then the person who steals our parking space at Price Chopper is not the, end, is not the worst person in the whole world. Like, we can get over that. A teenage child who yells out in anger at a parent is not the worst thing that could ever happen to us. We might be able to get over that, speaking from personal experience, right? When we realize how great we have transgressed God's law and how great his mercy was towards us, it allows us and empowers us to be forgiving for others because we've received great forgiveness. And if we hold on to bitterness in our hearts, according to the scriptures, that somehow affects our prayers. That unforgiveness in our hearts is a barrier to us seeing the answers to our prayers. All right, so what? That was weird. That is a weird passage. What does all of that mean for us today? I'm so glad you asked that question. Number one, there is a word for us here about the purity of our worship. Uh, the purity of our worship. About missing the point of our relationship with God. About leveraging this new position in Christ for gains that God never intended for us. And also a word about the fiery jealousy of God on his own behalf. The Lord is a jealous God and he desires our pure worship and he will share his glory with no other. May God help us. May he give us eyes to see and ears to hear the ways that our hearts seek to distort this gift that he's given us. May he help us see our idolatry. That's what we're asking for. May God help us to see the places and the ways that we have not protected the purity of our hearts in worship, but have given our worship to other things, have sought to find from other things what only God can provide us. There's also a word here, secondly, so there's a word about our purity of worship. There's also a, wor a word here about the attitude of our prayers, the expectation that should drive our prayer lives. Now, this is not the main focus of our passage, but still a good place for us to draw some encouragement. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss, according to James. So when we're praying, we need to, one, yield our wills to the Lord Grow in him. Remember, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't just mean he'll give you everything you ask. It means that as you delight yourself in him, he shapes your desires. So that the things you desire are good things he wants to give you. And no good thing does he withhold from them who love him. So let your heart grow in affection for Jesus. Let your mind be transformed by its renewal through the word of God. And when you pray, pray in line with his will and pray confidently that he'll give you what you're asking. Be faithful in your prayers and don't harbor unforgiveness in your heart. Because faithlessness and unforgiveness are hindrances to our prayer life. But that's not the central point of this passage. 
I'm going to get all geeked out here, and I hope you can just hold, hold on with me. The central point of this passage is actually something much more beautiful than all of that. You see, when scanning the surface of this passage, we find it kind of confusing, but the message of Mark's gospel in this section is really the meaning of the confusing passage. And here's my best shot at it. These two events that seem disconnected are in reality directly tied together. The cursing of the tree and the cleansing of, intemp- of the temple are, intel- are intended to tell us the exact same thing. In the Old Testament, the fig tree is a, is a common way for prophets to describe the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Sometimes a flock, sometimes a vine and a vineyard, sometimes a fig tree. The fig tree is cursed by the king of Israel, the Messiah. Why? Because although it looked like it was fruitful, there was no substance there. It had all the appearances of being fruitful and accomplishing its purpose, but when he got close to it, he realized there was no fruit. So the fig tree, which is a picture and image of Israel, is cursed by the king of Israel because it was fruitless. And then Jesus enters the temple, the epicenter of religious worship. And although it appears to be this fruitful, sacred place, what he found inside was anything but fruit. He found unfaithfulness. He found idolatry and exploitation. He found people standing in the way of the Gentiles having access to God. And he cleansed it. Why? Because it promised fruitfulness, but it lacked any substance. In this way, Jesus is acting out what he had already pronounced, the curse on the fig tree. And what we should read from this and take from this is a stark warning that if God himself would pronounce judgment on his chosen people for their idolatrous hearts, that should be a sober-minded reminder for us to guard the purity of our worship. There is a warning here that God will not stand for his people to drink from foreign springs, to worship at foreign altars, to serve foreign gods. Even though our churches may have all the appearance of sacred life, Jesus himself said much fruit is what honors the Father. And he tells us that he prunes off the unfruitful branches. This is sobering for us. It's not just about the purity of worship. It's not just about our prayer lives. But it is a reminder that the idolatrous and rebellious nature of our hearts demand judgment. And then it leads us mercifully to the grace of Jesus. Because one of the things that I see in this passage is how my heart could not change itself from being rebellious and idolatrous. And given, left to myself, and given my own choices, I would have every time leveraged my position to exploit my brothers because I'm sinful and wicked. But the grace of Jesus makes me an acceptable worshiper. It is the gospel of Christ that forgives me of sin, that welcomes me into the family of God, that helps me see clearly who God is as my Father, who Jesus is as my Savior, and makes me acceptable to him. So it's a call to the gospel as well. Sobering, sobering reminder. Those of you here who have given your whole lives to religious service need to see in this a wake-up call. 
Because it's not acts of religious activity that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for the fruit of the Spirit in your life through faith. Those of us who are walking with Jesus but feel our hearts pulled in different directions, this is a startling wake-up call for us. That God desires the purity of our worship. And maybe it's time to let him cleanse the temple of your heart to restore that. What a gift the word of God is. It encourages us and it makes us feel good. And sometimes it kicks us right in the seat of our pants. And that's a good thing too because God's a good father. And he loves us enough to not let us wander into the false wells of idolatry in this world. But to draw us back to faithful worship to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and what it teaches us for the power that is contained therein. For the way that you wash over us with your water week after week, day after day. Lord, I never, I never grow tired of the cleansing effect of your word on my heart. Lord, I pray that you'd have free reign to cleanse our hearts today with your word. God, show us how Show us how we have wandered away from the centrality of worship into idolatrous forms and draw us back. Awaken our eyes to see the reality that our faithlessness or our unforgiveness will stand as a barrier to our prayers. Help us, God, to lay down our bitterness and our unforgiveness. Help us, God, to deal with our unbelief. And Lord, I pray that as we take a look at the big picture, that we will see a stark reminder that you are a jealous God who disciplines your children because of love to draw them back. And I pray that we would receive that rebuke with gladness and that we would walk in the way of wisdom and righteousness and holiness, God. We thank you for your word and what it's teaching us. Continue to wash over us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this point, we have to leave the live stream, so thank you for all those of you who are watching in your jammies at home. It was nice to visit with you in your living rooms today. 9 and 11 next week, we hope to see you there. For those of you who are on campus, go ahead and stand with us, and we'll sing a few more songs in worship today.